Welcome to American Narratives. I'm Marianne Pina. And I'm Joe Faraccio. Today we have a remarkable guest, a nationwide recognized nonprofit Latina leader, Patricia Mota. Patricia serves as the president and CEO for the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement, also known as ACE. Patricia has a strong history of serving the community and has been recognized for her advocacy efforts for our community, minority communities. She has recently been named as one of Chicago's most powerful Latinos in 2019 by Crane's Chicago Business and Nonprofit HR 2020 Women to Watch. Patricia, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So let's go ahead and get started. You know, one of the things that we always ask our guests is where everything starts, right? So tell us a little bit, a little bit more about where does your family come from? Where did you grow up? Where were you born? And and um, where did you spend your formative years? Yeah. Uh, so I am most proud of being the daughter to immigrants from Mexico. Uh, and that's something that has definitely been, um, you know, part of my journey because it's become part of my why in the sense that I try to become the best version that I possibly can and empower others to do that. Um, to try to justify the sacrifices that my parents have made for my siblings and I, um, but also uh, empowering their children to pursue high, higher education, to get good grades, and not necessarily understanding um, the hows or, or, or how to go about things, but just knowing that it was critical. I grew up in East Chicago, Indiana, um, predominantly Mexican, uh, African-American, Black neighborhood, uh, predominantly low income. Uh, and I had an opportunity in my junior year of high school uh, to move to Arizona, right outside of Phoenix, a town named Gilbert, Arizona. Um, one of my oldest brothers, 10 years older than I am, um, had a great mentor, became a civil engineer, got married, moved to Arizona, convinced my traditional strict Mexican father <laughs> to move out there. <laughs> and it was a culture shock because I go from predominantly black and Latino uh, neighborhood to predominantly Caucasian white neighborhood. Uh, but I went from one public high school to another public high school. And that's where I tell people that I've experienced the education gap, the resource gap that exists in a lot of underserved communities, just simply based on where we grow up. Um, in this new high school, I was uh, given access to uh, college recruiters from all over versus my original high school. Those that were recruiting were predominantly the military. Um, I, my new high school, I met with my college guidance counselor at least you know every other week versus my original high school. It was maybe twice a year. Uh, and I was placed into AP classes <laughs> because of my good grades, but the academic career was at a completely different level. Um, but I share that because it's part of my journey and my upbringing in terms of where I understood early on the gaps that exist and the needs to be able to ensure that my peers, my community um, has access to resources, education, um, information, because in that experience, I already knew my peers and myself included, we were behind, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's no fault of our own. Yeah, that's, uh, I can tell, very cause-oriented, and you've carried that with you and even into your career, and we'll get to that here pretty quick. But, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of sticking with those formative years, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grow up? I mean, what, what were kind of your ideas as, uh, for, as far as a career, how you wanted to spend your life? Yes, first grade. Um, the first 
professional Latina I ever met, right? The, my, the Latinas in my family were my tias, my grandmothers, uh, my mother. Uh, but the first, uh, my first grade teacher, Miss Martinez, uh, was quite impactful. Just such a good teacher that I would always tell her over and over again, I want to be just like you. I want to be a teacher, right? Um, because of that, she would um, encourage my mother to support that. Right. And what ended up happening as a result of me sharing what is it that I wanted to become, who I wanted to become, um, the, the ripple effect that it had. Right. So, for example, I came home from school one day. There was a chalkboard my mom had for me um, to help teach my younger sister what I learned for the day. Miss Martinez would give me extra worksheets to go and teach my younger sister what I learned for the day. When I went on to second grade, I always tell people that was my first internship. Miss Martinez would invite me after school to help grade the first grade papers. <laughs> Fast forward, I am not a formal teacher, but I consider myself an educator in the sense I've helped build programs, uh, leadership trainings wow. um, that help create awareness and educate individuals to understand their strengths, capabilities, but most importantly, to become the best version of themselves. So not formally a first grade teacher, but I consider myself an educator. And that specific experience taught me at an early age. I didn't realize it then, but I think you fast forward when you reflect and you think about those pivotal years that we all have, is it empowered me to understand the power behind sharing what your dreams and aspirations are, asking for support because you never know the resources, the connections, um, the internship, right? The opportunities that will come at your disposal as a result. Excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, talk to them a little bit about elementary school. Would it tell us more about, you know, at high school, talking to your counselors and everything, what did you decide to do after that? Oh, geez. Well, for sure, the end goal was to get to college. I didn't know exactly how or, or what, um, but it was getting there. I think it was being able to say, I need to get to college. Ironically enough, my guidance counselor from the high school in Arizona was an alum from Indiana University. <laughs> and she's like, you've done everything you can, you can do your junior year of high school in order to keep an in-state tuition, go back to your high school, your, your senior year, um, complete your high school diploma, you'll get in-state tuition at Indiana University. So we had a plan for that. Um, of course, I applied, I mean, Indiana University, there's other in-state schools that I applied to, but with IU, it was the best deal. Um, I ended up being also, and, and this is why I'm a true believer of programs and resources and services that specifically target our black and brown underserved communities, because I was also a scholarship recipient for the group summer program, which is a program that helps black and Latino students get to campus the summer before. So I was able to get, go through that program, get on campus, get acclimated, um, start taking some of those uh, initial course requirements that are required of you and that, for me, was um, pivotal uh, in the sense to get comfortable on campus, get in a new space, make friends. Because once you start getting into those lecture halls and those rooms, it's so easy to feel like you don't belong because um, you do stand out, <laughs> you know, in terms of uh, predominantly, you know, either you're the only one of, of color, the person of color, the, or depending on what classes, the only woman. And... And so that's why, you know, I always sought out those types of programs and resources, and I'm an advocate to be able to build those types of targeted, culturally relevant, specific resources and programs to help our underserved community. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a common theme already in this interview is a very cause-oriented mm -hmm. kind of taking your experience, learning from it and applying and helping others kind of the next and really giving them a, a leg up. And 
that's that's outstanding, and you and we'll get to it in a little bit as far as kind of what you do now for again those underserved mm-hmm. communities. But let's go through the career progression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what did you graduate in? Kind of what are your degrees, and kind of what was your first job out of university? My first job. Well, I mean, I had many jobs as an undergrad, sure. and I think that's also a very common with um, our, our community, our students that are first generation. You know, we had to figure out the financial resources, and so on campus, I tried to leverage any type of whether um, it was uh, work study programs as one, but then looking for serving jobs. I have, you know, one of them was at. at um, I don't know. I don't even know that, that morning restaurant that didn't last that long because we weren't getting <laughs> service. But <laughs> then the other one was at, at the art and book center, just helping at the register. Um, and then at the student rec center, I love going to the student rec center. It's like beautiful if you ever go to the campus. But I also went and asked because I, I noticed during the group exercise classes they didn't have um, like a cardio salsa or, or merengue. And I was like, hey, I may not not be a formal fitness instructor, but maybe I can get this as a job. <laughs> and I go. did. So I had multiple jobs. So, you know, in the first of the year when everybody wants a new fitness goals, I always love that there's always a long yes. line yes. in the gym and people going in. Um, so I had multiple jobs on campus. But I consider my first key job um that is critical for who my my career has developed to where it is today was i had the opportunity through americorps um on campus and it was a partnership with the advocate for community engagement at the city of bloomington Hmm. it was a collaborative and they were looking for a project coordinator and through this it was to help co-found a local community center that was much needed there was an influx of latinos coming to the frankfurt Indiana area and the outside in the Bloomington for jobs. And so, but there were, the community was having issues with providing um, services in Spanish translation. And so through that um, position, uh, I was able to work with the business community for space for translators. I worked with the students from the Spanish language department um, to come and volunteer, get hours to practice their Spanish um, I was able to get funding through the city. So it was my first experience doing like a collaborative effort and developing a partnership, but also with nonprofits. Um, and so for me, that really was my first, what I consider full-time experience because it helped me really put my um, my leadership skills into practice in the sense. I mean, formally after that, I worked in higher education as um, recruitment, focusing on recruitment retention programs um, for the community college for the state of Indiana um, for um, students of color, uh, specifically doing some programming for Latino students as well. Uh, but yeah, my undergrad, I think you asked me, it's, it, I switched it several times, right? But I ended up with a double bachelor's of arts degree in communications in Spanish and then a minor in business um, and then came back years later to do a graduate degree as well. Wow, you know, we we I think we need to have a separate show where we all compare our favorite, <laughs> uh, like our favorite job during college. I right? know, right? I think mine was a janitor from four to eight in the morning, Monday oh through Friday. Oh my gosh, that I was a UPS sorter. Yeah, there you go. You yeah. do what you got to do, right? And then that, and that's all part, and it's all part of the, the experience. I think, uh, and again, I'm seeing this kind of post college focus on advocacy, support, helping those that are more vulnerable from your community. Um, 
Take us forward then. Yeah. Keep progressing. I mean, obviously you got a master's degree. You said that very humbly. That's not a small thing. Plus, yeah. a, plus a major and a couple minors. And I think she's the most educated person we've had here in a long time. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Um, what kind of give us a Cliff Notes version of how you got to where you're at now? What was your career progression after that? Yeah, I, I mentioned I was working in, in higher education for some time. Um, and that one I got to for the community college um, for the state of Indiana. This was out of their Ivy Tech, their central um, Indianapolis location. Um, the As we may all know, um, we do have a huge majority of our undocumented students that go to community colleges. And as I started um, going into the high school talking about why would community college be an option for you, right? It's not for everybody, but sometimes it's the best option for some of us. Um, I started me en engaging more with not only the students, but their parents, right? That looked at me as a trusted source, like, you know, and asked me questions. And I was able to, you know, speak in Spanish with them and understand what were some of their concerns. Because my parents had the very same concerns. Like, and, and, and whether it's like, oh, they're going to spend time away from the family responsibilities or obligations, you know, we need them around. Um, or, or we don't know how to go about this, right? Like, how are we, especially for our undocumented youth, going to get any financial resources? resources. And so um, that type of community and connection was critical, not only for the college. I mean, the college then saw that and they're like, hey, Univision, can you go speak on, you know, <laughs> about the college? Like you ended up, you and then there's a diversity council. So I became more and more that advocate for the Latino community, not only because it came natural, I had a, a natural connection to it. Um, but even at the community college, there wasn't that much representation in the staff and faculty. And that's still something that we see challenging across the country, right? And so I happily engage in, in many aspects. And, and one of, you know, me getting more into the diversity, equity, inclusion space was um, when I got to have the opportunity to sit on the diversity council that comprised of a board of trustees, that um, staff and faculty, um, and I was able to bring a student along as well to share, you know, what were some of the key specific um, challenges that our Latino students and families are facing and how is it and advising the college in terms of how, what are some key resources, programs. Um, and, and so one of them was starting a student group. One was an advisory council, bringing in, you know, parents and families. Um, so as I, as those initiatives evolved and, um, and, and I'm a builder, right? So I build programs, I bring other leaders, I train them, I get it going. <laughs> so as I got to there a couple of years and was finishing up my graduate degree in public administration, I knew that upon completing that degree, um, that master's degree, I wanted to look for a national nonprofit that I can build programs and scale them to even have a greater reach. And so at the time, that's where um, ASE, where I'm currently had, had a director role avail uh, opening. And I interviewed with us, I interviewed with a, quite a few organizations in the D.C. area, but with this organization, as I met with board members, with former staff, with current staff, I saw the opportunity to build, to innovate, and to thrive. Um, my vision in 2010 came a little faster than I had anticipated, where, you know, two, three years after that, I, I after building, um, for example, our women's leadership program that was solely in Chicago, then it expanded over um, 13 cities, and now even last year internationally, to then leading more of our fundraising and our partnerships across the country, um, to then being uh, named interim CEO in October 2014. And um, 
you know, I always lead with passion first and because it was scary at the same time, you know, you, we all have that little voice in your head that tells you, well, you're not ready yet. You're not, it's not time yet. You need to learn this more or get a little more information about this. Um, but fortunately because of the, the circle of mentors and advisors, I was able to push for, um, and I, even to this day, it's and, and now being in the president and CEO role going on six years, it still continues to be scary, fulfilling, and exciting at the same time, <laughs> and and rewarding. Um, because just to hear the stories of impact that we have every single day, whether it's you know students that we're able to offer scholarships to, or whether it's that Latina who was um, we were able to empower through that next promotion and 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 have her do her part to close the wage gap that our women face. Um, that is just very. Um, uh, just rewarding for, for me and to be able to lead a team to do this work every day. You, you, you yep. know, it's not only what you're saying, but how you're, how saying, you're saying it. it. You're Absolutely. very lit up. I, I, I can tell you're <laughs> heartfelt and passionate about what you're doing, and we don't always see that. I think that's too mm-hmm. rare, actually. And that's key. That's what that's the part that makes a difference, right? And, and Patricia, it sounds like you, you have had the right people around you, have surrounded you, and you've had a great career progression. And, you know, talk to us a little bit more about that, right? So we know that... Mm-hmm. Um, through, through everyone's career journey, there's ups and downs. What have been some of your struggles mm-hmm. and learnings throughout it? Yeah, no, I mentioned when I was named interim CEO, I mean, one of the biggest things um, that I was just freaking out of, <laughs> like on the P&Ls, right? Like the financials, and that's something I was like 100% comfortable. Um, but I knew that, you know, I can figure it out, right? And it, I knew that I can, because I'm not afraid of asking. And I think sometimes that's what holds us back is we're fearful that we're not going to look like we know everything. And that's one thing that has taken me through my career is I'm never afraid to admit that I don't know something <laughs> or asking questions. I and mean, again, remember when I told Ms. Martinez, like I asked her for help back in the first grade and that's been a common theme. Um, so because of that, I was able to make the right connections, put like my own circle of advisors, um, if you will, that were, um, that knew that very well, that it was able to do like my mini course, right. To train me to say, these are the things we need to look out for. Um, and so for me, that was a challenge. And then I would be remiss if I did not say this last year (laughs) was a big challenge, right. With the pandemic and. Um, granted a lot of groundwork and foundational work has been done by the team, by the board of directors and, um, our, our, our leaders and, and members across the country to really get us to a place where, um, when, when things change, we were able to shift quickly. Um, we were in a, a, a good, um, you know, financial position to do so, but I think, um, just shifting quickly and ensuring that everyone feels comfortable being transparent in terms of with the team. Like this is what we're going to change now. This is what I'm concerned about, but this is what I'm working on and we'll get back to you in terms of what I think was was so critical with, um, with the team, making sure that we had weekly zoom video meetings so that we're interacting with one another so that we can maintain some sort of connection and relationship building. Um, there's a lot of key things and, 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 and going after all of the resources that I could possibly, you know, the PPP, because we didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Um, and being able to push through that until I heard a yes, um, yep. because I know that was another, and again, it's, it's being um, persistent and asking and asking and asking in order to get it done. And, um, this last year was probably the most challenging, I, I would say, 
um, for, for a lot of reasons. But of course, I mean, uh, you know, with we, we are a familia at ASE, and so we have familia across the country. And to hear from the loss of life that many of us, you know, uh, encountered is also another challenge. And, um, and then with the social unrest, and that goes in with our day-to-day work. It aligns perfectly with what we're talking about, uh, racial justice, ensuring that, um, that the employers that we're working with are pushing and promoting equitable practices within their organizations, but also at the time empowering the individuals that we serve to say this is what you can do this is the action that you can take to do your part right whether it's speaking up advocating and taking action so it takes each of us right to be able to create that that collective change and I would say this last year although it was the most challenging I think um, it also empowered me to speak up even more right and then that's something that we need more than ever. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing a couple of great golden nuggets there, which is yeah. often opportunities don't come at the perfect time, but rise to the mm-hmm. challenge. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You don't know everything. Yeah. People will rally and support you and help you. Yeah. And third, be resilient and resourceful and persistent right. and determined yeah. and gritty in times mm-hmm. of challenge. Which certainly, you know, we, we could compare stories with running a firm here through the pandemic similarly, right? And yeah. it, it definitely steals you up and requires you to, think out of the box and, and um, over communicate. And I, I heard all of that. Yeah. That's a lot more. Yeah. So that was excellent. That really. Yeah. Great recap. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, you said it. So. <laughs> so thinking about, thinking about the whole trajectory of things, right. Has there mm-hmm. ever been an occasion where things have may have seemed unfair to you? Unfair, specific, personal to me, or just in general? Well, in the context like, of your career. In the context of I, your yeah, career. Yeah, because we all, I mean, we all get a bad I, shot. I right? think, you know, I think one thing that has definitely been a, a very valuable trait that I, a trait that I've always had is always looking at the silver lining, the positive, giving people the benefit of the doubt. But I also have to be realistic as to why, you know, my certain experiences have shaped me to do the work that I do, right? Um, you know, experiencing being up for, for that next promotion and, um, and not getting the promotion and perhaps not taking it personal right away. It's like, okay, was it my time? Right. But then when you are blatantly told, um, that it wasn't that we didn't think you were prepared, but we felt more comfortable with the white male that's only like three years older than you, um, that was just, again, giving the person the benefit of the doubt. They just didn't know what they were saying. But I was like, wow, <laughs> like, you know, that was so inappropriate. That's so not right. I thought I was just wasn't ready, but you just told me that it's not that you were ready, but the, the, the committee felt more comfortable with that other gentleman. Mm-hmm. That can mean so many things. And that happens, that was a little more blatant in that example, but it happens like uh, subconsciously, right? In, in interviews and hiring committees, um, where there's just structures or processes that are in place and, and, and biases, right? We each have biases that exist that just perhaps helps, you know, it doesn't help when it comes to creating a more diverse and inclusive workspace. And so, um, I don't need, I don't even remember your original question because I think I just got so heated <laughs> talking about that specific example. Um, but, but that's one that I would say. Excellent. Well, that helps tremendously. Thank you so much. Um, what are key lessons and learnings then? You know, I, you've had a very successful career. In many ways, you've lived the American dream. 
right? Uh, I mean, you're first generation. Um, you came, you know, you, you kind of scrapped together and, and did some resilient stuff even in high school to get into a really good university. And then you seized that opportunity and really have followed your heart on a very successful career path. And you've got a long runway to go, right? Here you are in this big leadership role. Um, but, you know, you've made a living literally helping the next generation. And this is to that target audience. What do you want to tell them? What are some golden nuggets and kind of key lessons learned that you want to share to them who may be listening? Yeah, no, great point. It's something I, I, you know, ponder on often in the sense that I feel extremely grateful that I get to do the work that I do um, and also make a living out of it, right? Like it's following my passion and make a living out of it. And, And that's where... I think it's critical for everyone to be able to find, right, is matching what are the competencies, the skill sets that you have with your passion and finding what are like making a list and finding alignment and really honing in on that. I think um, I obviously, you know, I want to make a good career, make a good living, but it was never like the number one goal in terms of financial. It's like I want to have fun in the work that I'm doing and I want to make a difference. And with that consistently and, and, and hard work, it's like opportunities continue to, to come forth, you know? And so I do not take that for granted at all. I, it's been a village, right? It's been the group of, of supporters and, and mentors um, that have helped me to get to where I'm getting. And I truly do believe that I'm um, in the greater purpose. And so I live with that daily knowing that, um, all of our time here on earth is borrowed. And so it's up to each of us and what you're going to make out of it. And what is your legacy that you want to leave? And um, I have, I don't have any children myself. I have, I consider my staff, my children, my six nieces and nephews. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, I do believe in leading by example and, you know, and you'll get those questions from time to time or uh, folks that reach out to you because, uh, and, and that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good to be able to create that change. Well, I'll tell you, Patricia, we have five kids, now six with a daughter-in-law. So if you if you want us to lend you one, we could certainly do that. <laughs> or we, two. We, we have more than enough to, to pass around if, if you want to be part of the piña fracham la la familia, right? Right. So, uh. Excellent. Well, Patricia, this has been wonderful. We appreciate your time and, and you sharing your narrative today. Yes. Thank Th- you for having me. It's been my it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, this is very, very excellent episode. Great learnings. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. American Narratives is brought to you by CMP, a minority and women-owned firm providing solutions across the full talent life cycle, from recruitment and assessment to leadership coaching and career transition solutions. To learn more, visit www.careermp.com.